Well, friends, you are listening to Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit with me, Mark Penrith, your host. I'm from Crystal Park Baptist Church, soon to be Central Baptist Church in Pretoria, where I serve the local church's staff, caring for the souls of men and changing the light bulbs as and when necessary. A shout out to everyone tuning in from our hood in Benoni, in Ikuruleni, up in Pretoria, Twane, and really wherever else you are listening in South Africa, recognizing that we have listeners down in the Western Cape, Stellenbosch and Cape Town, and we have uh, my mom listening in in Quebec. Uh, it's good to have you with us, as well as people from all over the country, Da'ar, <laughs> Pofada, um, it is good to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Listener, normally Table Talk is your opportunity to join the conversation. We normally answer your questions and answers live on air. But this morning, because I am on holiday, this is a pre-recorded show, which means you can't dial in, but you can still engage. If you are streaming on Facebook, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, you can drop a comment in the uh, in the comments down below. Uh, please do send a shout out, a hello. I certainly will try and keep track of those uh, and greet you even during the show. On the controls this morning, pressing all the buttons and making sure the lights stay on is uh, a co-laborer in this ministry. It may be Vusi or DK or Zani or Mpo. It is good to have you with us. Never mind who is in the studio this morning. Thanks for your faithful service. Friends, uh, you may be listening on 657 AM Radio Pulpit or 729 AM Radio Cape Pulpit. It might be that you are streaming off our Facebook page, Radio Pulpit, Radio Console. Uh, you may be streaming uh, off uh, Pastor Mark Penrith's uh, Facebook page, off DSTV Channel 882, Open View Channel 607, or even streaming live off our website, www.radiopulpit.co.za. However you are listening in, I do trust that you enjoy the show this morning. This morning I've got two guests with me. I have Seb Goldswain as well as Isaac Pinto. Both are representatives of uh, local churches, both serve in their local churches in different positions, um, but both are related to worship. And that is the conversation that we're having this morning. We are talking about worship, corporate worship, God glorifying praise and worship with all of our lives, but specifically this morning, um, considering corporate worship, how we worship when we come together. I'm going to introduce uh, Seb first. Uh, Seb, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you are from Hillcrest Baptist Church. And I'd like to give you a moment to introduce your own local church and your ministry uh, to the listeners today. Sure. Hey, Mark. Hey, Isaac. Um, so, yes, my name is Seb Goldswain. I have the uh, very great honor and distinction and privilege of serving on staff at Hillcrest Baptist Church as the worship director. And I have been on staff there for five years. I, I first came on staff kind of as a, a young guy who was trying to make it as a professional musician, since I suppose I would call that my, uh, you know, my, my occupation more, more than anything. And I was roped into staff to lead the worship. And uh, subsequent to that, it has become uh, one of my biggest joys and passions in life is corporate worship and in having the privilege of standing up and leading that um, each week. So 
Hillcrest Baptist is a reformed, uh, conservative, uh, Baptist Bible-believing church uh, just outside of Durban. And uh, yeah, we, we, we faithfully exposit God's word each week and um, do as best we can to stick to biblical principles in how we run our church. Cool. So Seb, I, I think I've known of Hillcrest Baptist Church for a number of years now. I, I'd listened to a number of sermons by your previous pastor, Clint Archer, uh, who was a master seminary graduate and uh, really enjoyed really enjoyed listening to his sermons. I know he's subsequently uh, gone abroad. Um, but your current pastor, Billy Joe uh, Swart, um, served with me out here on the East Rand and uh, we spent some time together in what's called the Baptist Northern Association's East Rand Fraternal and engaged with one another. So I know Hillcrest Baptist Church quite well and I'm really glad to have you uh, on with us, Seb. In actual fact, you came recommended to me um, through our worship director at Crystal Park Baptist Church, uh, Warren Scott. Um, who said, hey, Mark, you need to start to listen uh, to some of the worship that's happening at a church uh, down the road, over the hill, <laughs> down the N3 and a little bit further on, um, because uh, there, there's some really good stuff happening down there. And he was recommending when you came up to Gauteng for some kind of tour or something like that, uh, he was telling me that I should listen in and, uh, and get seats and listen to you. Um, and so, yeah, your reputation precedes you. It's really cool to have you on the show to talk about worship this morning. Thanks so much for joining us. Isaac Pinto, <laughs> you have, um, uh, yeah, just uh, again, I've known you, Isaac, for a number of years now. And, uh, and I know the church that you serve kind of well as well. Um, you serve at Central Baptist Church in Pretoria. Maybe you want to just take some time and introduce yeah. Central to the listeners. Thank you. Yeah, um, I've, uh, I'm at Central Baptist and we are a conservative Baptist church. Uh, and we have two campuses. Uh, I am my official title is a, an, an assistant pastor, but I do oversee the worship uh, ministry in both campuses. And yeah, we are, uh, we do uh, um, want to, as Seb also mentioned, we do want to follow biblical principles in all that we do. Uh, and so uh, that's, that's who I am. If you are wondering where my accent is because it's from the Karoo. I can hear already. <laughs> you're from you're from Oatsun or something. Uh, you know, people when when they meet me and and they that's the first thing that they're trying to figure out. So I'll 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 just say I'm originally from Brazil. That's where the accent comes from. Sometimes when they see me, they will ask, "Is it Egypt or was some Arab country?" <laughs> but uh, <laughs> no, I'm originally from. Uh, Brazil, but yeah, excited to be here and excited to to have you, Mark, coming to us in the beginning of next year and excited about uh, partnering together and working alongside you, man. Yeah, yeah, no, the, look, the excitement is mutual, brother. So introductions aside, and thank you guys uh, for keeping that uh, brief. Um, introductions aside, today we really want to kind of bite in and chew on and think about uh, and consider in as best a way as we possibly can with the time that we have 
um, this idea of corporate worship. And both of you spoke about being conservative Baptist churches. Both of you um, have spoken about the Bible. Maybe that's where we should start the conversation. Seb, um, maybe with you, let's get going by talking about what is biblical worship? What is worship biblically? Corporate biblical worship. How would you go about defining that? How would you go about starting our conversation off on that? Yes, so I would say that um, human beings are worshipful creatures. They Mm. are, as uh, John Calvin said, idol factories, and we are prone to worshiping something. We will always have our hearts being pulled towards something, and we will treasure something, and that something will either be an idol that will let us down, or it will be uh, the living God of the Bible. So when it comes to corporate worship, corporate worship is specifically, or biblical corporate worship is specifically how Christians are commanded to to worship God when they gather together according to the Bible. So that's a a very basic principle, and I think that we're all trying to... um, ascribe to and what we're desiring to do in our worship is to be faithful to the text of God, mm. um, not, not only in the truth of Jesus and the gospel, but also how our worship services look like and um, what kind of functions take place within that and um, what we are trying to teach people as we do so. So I have a whole list of things that I've written down for um, what is biblical worship, and I'll just I'll just I'll just share a couple of them. Sure. Uh, well, well, well. Actually, uh, just as you come to sharing them, something that you hmm. said um, just kind of turned a light bulb on in my head, and I'm thinking of of big, funny, crazy words like regulatory principle, regulative principle, and normative principle. And um, but you said as defined in God's word. How important is it? that worship be biblical? How important is it that worship be defined in God's word? I mean, you know, maybe God's word doesn't say some of the things that we see happening in worship around us in various different uh, churches. How, why is it important to anchor our worship philosophies within the word of God? Mm. Uh, you're right. I didn't want to uh, go into the regulative or normative uh, principles um, either, but basically I think I start with the assumption that human beings are sinful and we need an objective standard to teach us how to worship. Mm. And so we constantly need to be looking for values outside of ourselves in mm. scripture that inform and um, shape how we, how we are going to worship. So uh, with what your view is on those, on those two things uh, aside, um, instead of looking for ideals within ourselves um, and trying to come up with new trends and new fads for what good worship looks like, we should continually be looking to Scripture to meet those needs and to inform us. Okay, no, that's a that's a great start, Isaac. I, I mean, we've now got a framework, right? We, we've got we've got yeah. the, a, a good drawing that uh, Seb has laid down, but maybe we can start to shade in some of the colours. Yeah. Um, when you when you're thinking of biblical worship, where do you start? What do you think of? Yeah. So maybe if I can just add to to what uh, Seb was saying, in uh, Vody Bokum used an illustration in one of the sermons that he was pe- preaching about worship. Uh, listened a while ago, that was really helpful to me, and I, I think it gets to the point of 
of why we should have the Bible. Uh, we can use regulate our, our worship, right? Um, he used illustration. Let's say that uh, one of our wives, it's 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 her birthday, and uh, so then you wake up early, and then the children come and and bring her a uh, 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 breakfast in bed, and the breakfast has pancakes and peanuts, uh, and then they 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 go and they go to the beach for the rest of of the the day and and they trying to spoil her and all of that but then at the end of the day she had a miserable day because she's allergic to peanuts and hates the beach <laughs> um, um and 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 that is kind of what it would be like for us human creatures to try to please god in a way that doesn't actually please him you know god says this is the way i've instructed you uh, to worship me and so we we don't need to come up with uh, uh, things because uh, obedience is better than than sacrifice right we we ought to be obeying this is what God has revealed to us this is how he would like to be worshiped uh, and we should be worshiping him according to that which he has revealed to us so I think uh, that that illustration just kind of uh, helps uh, to to put things in in perspective. <laughs> okay, no, actually it, it it does. It's a good analogy, and mm. I like Vodi Vodi Buckham as well. And uh, he does have a way with words. Right. Seb, I I think just before we moved on to Isaac, uh, you were going to start to kind of maybe lay out some of the elements of worship. Did I understand you correctly? Yeah, sure. Yeah, well, let's let's get going. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the first thing I was uh, I would say is that corporate worship is for redeemed people. So corp biblical corporate worship is what God's people do when they gather together to sing about God. So our worship service may have evangel uh, you know outreach evangelistic um, connotations and desires to it, but primarily it's the celebrating of God's people for the redemption that they have. Can we just hit pause there for a second? Because this is actually, this is massive. So I'm thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 14, which uh, is talking about the gift of tongues um, and, and is, is corrective in its, uh, in its scope. And Paul is obviously addressing saints. So that would be the redeemed, the blood-bought saints of the church uh, in Corinth. Um, but as he addresses them, he, he does mention that one of the reasons why they need to, you know, be ordered within the context of the corporate worship that they're, that they're celebrating uh, is that, you know, if there's outsiders <laughs> looking in on their midst, they won't have a clue what they're doing uh, if, you know, each one is, is going on and there's no interpretation and no one understands actually what's happening within the context of the, the worship service. And so the, the apostle seems to have a presupposition that there will be non-believers there and yet the reality is, I, I'm, I, there also seems to be a presupposition that the main the main body uh, of those who are worshiping are believers. Is that kind of the point that you're making uh, in in terms of it? That that ultimately it's the edification of the saints, which is Paul's the gist of Paul's argument in one Corinthians fourteen, but not just the edification of the saints. We can expect that there will be unbelievers in our midst gazing in. 
Yes, abs absolutely. And uh, it should be, they should come to a worship service and say, you know, I want what these people have. And it's something we can be aware of, but uh, it's not primarily an outreach event, is, is okay. what I'm saying. Yeah. Okay, got it, got it. Okay, yeah, yeah good start. <laughs> yeah. Harry, if I can, could yeah. I add uh, just okay. in terms of what uh, you guys are saying? And I think the, this principle is so important uh, for even our ecclesiology in general, uh, that the, the, the worship uh, of, of God is, is primary in, in the sense that we are not, we're not doing things for the people outside in terms of at, attractional, you know, um, in, in the sense that uh, what would the world like? And I think we see that in, in the larger uh, evangelical uh, churches, where it's like, what would an unbeliever like <laughs> and what would be uh, you know and and i think that is a complete missing of of what mm. you uh, express in that principle that is mm. uh, it is for believers um and, and and so the the way we gear the service and and the way we do things it will look completely different if you're looking to please uh, a non-believer than to uh, um, having the corporate worship of redeemers towards god so corporate worship service primarily for the sheep rather than for the goats correct okay yeah Seb, carry on um the corporate wor corporate worship uh, i i say values uh, the authority and sufficiency of the word of god you so, might have to just unpack that a little bit what do you mean by authority what do you mean by sufficiency Sure. Um, the authority uh, of Scripture, so, so Scripture has, um, well, Christ is Lord over us as his people. Yes. And he has authority to speak into and to decide every aspect of our lives. He requires obedience of us in every area, and we desire that in our worship. So as we sing truth, we desire to submit ourselves to the authority that uh, God's word has. Mm, mm, okay and, and sufficiency how, how would you how what how would you speak about sufficiency of scripture uh, the, the sufficiency is the idea that scripture is complete and is able to equip us for every good work um, yes all matters of life and doctrine correct okay so uh, you know in, in terms of our corporate worship service uh, scripture might not talk about the difference between pro presenter and uh, faith life proclaim, um, but it <laughs> certainly gives us enough information that that we can that we can put together a, a a worship set that ultimately glorifies God. It's sufficient that it gives us every element that we need in order to praise and worship God in the ways that He has mandated that praise and worship. Correct. Cool. And that uh, and that our corporate worship can shape and instruct every area of our lives as yes. we, you know, as, even as we leave the gathering. Yes. Okay. No, that's great. And and I guess that's also a point. Uh, you know, the the corporate worship does inform the rest of our week. Um, it, it does need to have an impact which goes beyond the hour uh, on a Sunday. Um, and then flow. You know, be be an oasis of of great joy and relief uh, in terms of the way that we live our Monday to Saturday. 
Correct. Colossians 3, 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Yes. So, and corporate worship should be desiring to allow the word of Christ to dwell richly in people. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Great stuff. Um, and, and then Seb, uh, where to from there? <laughs> um, the centrality of the gospel to both the glory of God and the good of God's people. How does the centrality of the gospel uh, come into worship? Uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just trying to think here in terms of what we said previously. The worship service is going to be primarily to the sheep rather than to the goats. Um, the gospel uh, then kind of, you know, lots of people are going to think of the gospel as something that you need before you are a sheep. <laughs> it's something that goes out to the goats. What is the gospel and the centrality of the gospel and need to be in the center of our corporate worship service if our corporate worship service is really designed around the saints, the redeemed of the Lord? Right, good question. And uh, I have heard um, people in less conservative churches ask, you know, why do you sing about the cross so much? Why do you sing about Jesus dying on the cross so much? You know, isn't that like simple and basic Christianity? Um, and my understanding, I think, simply is because um, in Scripture, God never moves on from the cross. It's the center point of human history, of redemptive history, and of God's um, redeeming plan for mankind, and of uh, Christ's glory is the cross. In Revelation chapter 5, you see all of creation with the cherubim and the seraphim and everything in all of creation saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. So the gospel is not a starting point into um, knowledge of God. The gospel is the fundamental knowledge of God. It's central to um, right worship of God and who he is. I'm going to bring Isaac in uh, into the conversation in a moment, but I, I just want to underline this because it is so important. Revelation chapter 5 is an absolute, 5, 6, and 7 are absolute favorite chapters of mine. I love gazing into the worship uh, in heaven above. And uh, I find myself most Sundays as I'm worshiping, uh, you know, in song or in prayer, I, I find myself often imagining uh, this this eternal state um, kind of surrounded by saints and some of them that I know and some of them that I don't know, you know, ages past and maybe even ages in the future, but surrounded by saints and surrounded by even the local church that I serve, worshiping Jesus together, but really worshiping him around this awesome work which he has done. And that work is the cross, the gospel is the center of what makes us excited about God. He has chosen to reveal himself in this most staggering way, crucified on a cruel tree and ble bleeding for humanity, for a sinner such as me. It, it, it is quite remarkable even just to think about it and that we will be worshiping that lamb, that lion of the tribe of Judah forever and ever. I mean, I get excited <laughs> even at the thought, <laughs> just talking about it. Isaac, in terms of the, the center of the cross in corporate worship, maybe you want to just add some yeah. thoughts to that. Yeah, the, the, because the cross is, is kind of the magnifying of God's uh, revelation and attributes and what he has done for us, right? Um, really, there is even, um, uh, it, it is, out of response to that because worship really is a response we we can't initiate worship worship is a response to 
who God is and what he has done. Mm, right. uh, it's in light of that, I mean, uh, Romans 12, verse 1 and, uh, uh, 1 and 2, in view of his mercy, and it's pointing out to the gospel, in view of what Christ has done, you know, present your bodies as living sacrifice. And so uh, as, as you look at the cross and what Christ did for us wretched sinners, um, it, the, the response is, is like, wow, thank you, thank you, Lord. And it really is also the core of, of our identity as, as, as Christians, right? Uh, as, as believers, we, we, uh, right, we don't move from there. It's, it's like we constantly go back uh, there because otherwise uh, the sense of pride grows that, uh, I somehow did something to earn it, and and the gospel just shatters all, all of that. It's like uh, uh, you're a sinner, hopeless, and Christ rescued you from the mud. Mm. Amen. Uh, I mean, what a glorious Savior we have. Um, and and when we do think of our wretched state, what he saved us from and what he has raised us to, um, you're right, there's this response that just wells in us and explodes in praise. Um, surely Christ is to be exalted. Guys, uh, we do need to go to a break. Um, and to those who are listening in, uh, it won't be a long one. But when we come back, we're going to continue to talk about um, about worship, about the elements of worship, um, and about the mechanisms of worship and some practical aspects of worship. Stick with us. We will speak again shortly. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you for our second segment in our first hour of the show on Friday between 9 and 11 o'clock. You are joining Mark with Table Talk this morning. I'm joined by two friends, uh, Seb, who serves at Hillcrest Baptist Church, as well as Isaac, who serves at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. And we are talking about all matters related to corporate worship. This morning, you are not able to send in your questions and answers, so sorry about that. But um, this is a pre-recorded show uh, in order to facilitate a little bit of downtime, holiday time for Mark and for the team. Um, but you can comment on Facebook and say hi. I will endeavor uh, to engage with you in the Facebook comments. Um, before we took a short break, we were talking really about the, the biblical foundations of corporate worship, which really gets us to the place of asking the question, well then, what does corporate worship look like on any given Sunday? What are the kinds of biblical realities that we should see um, in our corporate worship? Our Sunday gathering is a God-orchestrated affair. Um, we are taking our guidelines from God's Word. And so therefore, we do. We assemble to read God's Word, and we assemble to preach God's Word. We assemble to pray God's Word, uh, to sing God's Word, and then in the ordinances of both believer baptism, as well as in the communion, we see God's Word um, in play. And then I think you could also quite well add in terms of elements of worship that we give towards the promotion of God's word. These are all important elements of the corporate worship service. And so even as we start to come to, you know, what the corporate worship on a Sunday would look like, 
this is really where we start because we have a biblical underpinning for each one of those uh, elements. And um, uh, when you think of corporate worship, what are some of the mistakes that people make, um, uh, Seb or Isaac, um, regarding corporate worship? Some of the things that they, they, they think of as not being biblical elements or some of the things that they think of as being elements of corporate worship, which, which actually aren't. Isaac, maybe we should start with you, brother. Sure, sure. You know, I think this takes a, a little bit to, you know, regulative and uh, uh, principle and, and, and that. Um, I think there are things that are, are not uh, part of uh, the prescribed uh, elements of, of worship, like announcements, uh, you know, and <laughs> that is... Uh, there, that's, it's, it's not a, you know, we don't see chapter and verse, uh, re regarding that, um, uh, regarding, I even was reading, uh, Conrad Mbewe's, uh, book on, uh, you know, what does the church look like, uh, for the African, uh, for a guide for, for African pastors, you know, and, and it was even saying, even in terms of giving, uh, uh, you know, giving is biblical, of course, but in terms of should it, should it be done on the corporate, uh, I think you could make an argument, uh, uh, a biblical argument for, uh, for that. But I think the, the things that are prescribed in the scriptures, uh, clearly, you know, uh, singing raises, um, prayer and the preaching of God's word and, and as you mentioned the the ordinances so these elements uh, ought to be there if we are going to be doing what God prescribed us to uh, to to do yeah, so maybe I'll hand the ball over to Seb sure Seb um, yeah when you think of the elements of worship what what should a Sunday worship service look like? Um, I think that the worship service should be word saturated. Yeah. So that, does, that doesn't just mean um, reading a Bible passage and then moving on to the rest of the service. Yes. I think that means that um, from, your, from the singing to the prayer time to the sermon, obviously, um, and everything in between, it should be uh, saturated with God's word and yeah. closely aligned to uh, to that at all times. So, when you're choosing songs, your priority is not necessarily how it'll, how they will make the congregation feel in an experiential kind of way, but how does it teach us more about Jesus and how can this be faithful to uh, Scripture? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking of the way that we do worship at Crystal Park and thinking particularly of things like announcements or maybe missions awareness, uh, even testimony time. Uh, what we invariably do is we, we have a call to worship, which is the beginning of our, our actual corporate worship. And from the call to worship, which is the start of corporate worship, which is normally a short reading from a psalm, a call to praise, up until the end of our corporate worship, which is our benediction, which is a final 
reading of scripture. Everything in between that would be the elements of worship that I spoke about. Sing the word, read the word, preach the word, see the word, um, and give toward the promotion of the word, which is, which is kind of like an annexure because, cause, you know, the jury's out on as to, you know, whether that is covered under 2 Corinthians, what, uh, 5 and 6 or, uh, 1 Corinthians, yeah, uh, 1 Corinthians 16. Um, but, but that call to worship, what we would do is we would put things like the announcements, things like missions awareness, things like testimony time or, uh, engagement with our Sunday school, whatever. We'd put that before the call to worship. And then everything after the call to worship would be the elements of, uh, of public worship. Um, but, but it does, it does ask the question, um, why so scripture saturated? Why, why, why is every single one of those elements, um, related so closely to the word of God? Why is that so important? What's motivating that heart or that, that desire in terms of the Christian worship and leaders who put together Christian worship? Seb, what's the kind of things that, that motivate that desire to be so biblically minded, so biblically focused? Um, I would say again, it's our, uh, it's, it's a right understanding of man and our fallen state and the fact that we need to continually rely upon God and his word to, uh, inform us, especially in our worship service. Um, so I would, you know, I would say even things like, uh, you know, announcements, um, you know, if, if you're doing announcements, I think even those are an opportunity, uh, to saturate people with, <laughs> with God's word. Um, and if they, you know, rather than just, you know, it's an administrative thing that needs to be done out the way, it can be incredibly edifying and, um, can be instructive and informative for the church and, um, yeah, beneficial for them. Uh, and yeah, so, so, um, all, all that said, I think all, all the, all the elements, as long as they're pointing us towards God and his word. Well, well, let's talk about those elements, maybe one at a time, just briefly, um, starting with you, Isaac, um, reading God's Word. What does reading God's Word look like in, in, in a typical worship service at Central? Sure. So we, we believe in the power of, of God's Word. And so we read uh, systematically uh, through, through God's Word. Um, and, you know, there is... Uh, don't want to skip anything. So there are passages, you know, right now we, we going through Genesis and there are some chapters there. There's a lot of names <laughs> and, and tough names. This past Sunday, one of our, uh, um, one of our readers, you know, Pastor Charles even like, Congrats on getting all those names right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, and 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 Pastor Charles even mentioned, you know, it is uh, we we read because we believe in uh, the power of 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 God's word to minister to to His people. I mean, if we think about uh, Nehemiah, just holding the law and just reading the law to to everyone, yes. you know? and so uh, that is a. a, 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 a Part of, of our worship uh, every week, we systematically uh, read through different books of uh, the Bible. You know, as as of um, as of the recording of the show last Sunday, we um, 
we preach through 1 Timothy chapter 4. And in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul very clearly says to Timothy, you need to pay attention to the reading of God's word. Um, it is very, very important to him. From the reading of God's word, we go on to the preaching of God's word, which each Sunday, we rightly or wrongly say is the pinnacle of our worship service. Um, the, 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 the preaching, the declaration, the proclamation of the word of God and of the gospel. It is the high. Everything else is pointing to that and elevating the congregation toward that moment uh, in our worship service. Uh, what is the difference between preaching God's word and other forms of maybe didactic teaching uh, said why is why is preaching so important to the worship service and how do we who love God's word and want to see it elevated corporately how do we help the preaching of God's word to be central uh, to what we are doing mm. so uh, I have all the experience of a professional musician and none of a Pastor, so I'll happily answer the second part of the question with confidence. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think uh, if so. Speaking practically, uh, I'm you know I have uh, the experience of a professional musician. I'm used to putting on shows. I'm used to playing in other people's shows and seeing how you can present something to a group of people and what works and what doesn't. So just from a purely practical point of view. Um, and generally when you start trying to say, uh, too much to people, when you start, um, changing your topics and what you're talking about and what's happening in your presentation, it can confuse a lot of people and they can't, it, it makes it more difficult for them to follow. So I think that, um, so in choosing all the, the elements around the sermon, um, it's very helpful and it reinforces what's being said in the pulpit to follow the same kind of theme and to, you know, essentially reinforce the teaching that's coming from the pulpit. So that said, all the, the external readings, um, uh, the external Bible readings, uh, the, the songs that are chosen, the prayers, uh, the pastoral prayer, um, and the call to worship, everything, uh, it, it's helpful if it aligns with the text that's being mm. spoken that day. For, for your listeners. Look, one of the points that you made earlier, Seb, and I thought that was excellent. When we were laying the foundation for corporate worship, you were talking about the centrality of the gospel um, and the gospel proclamation. What I do find, so at Crystal Park, we, we don't necessarily, although we do publish even a year in advance, the text that we're going to be preaching, um, but we don't have an expectation necessarily that the worship leader will choose their set around the particular text um, that, that will be the, the sermon. However, our worship leaders know this. The sermon is ultimately going to point people to Jesus Christ and Him crucified. <laughs> and so even as the songs are selected, even as the benediction and the uh, call to worship is chosen, all of these elements ultimately point to the glorification of Jesus Christ. And so, so often it appears in retrospect as if everything was so well tailored. Um, it's crazy. You know, you, you're like, you're preaching out of Philippians and the worship leader is, you know, filled with joy in terms of the, the, the wording of their songs and the, and the, the emphases that the songs have and even the kind of like the tone, uh, of, of the songs. And, and you can see those threads develop. 
And then I also think because because we are given to expository preaching, I, I know certainly Crystal Park is, I, I know that Central is, um, and I know that Hillcrest Baptist Church is. Because we're given to, to expository preaching, in reality our worship leaders often pick the the main themes of the books and have those clearly in their hearts and in their minds even as they're preparing for the following week because they're on the same journey as everybody else in the church and and, and so those themes come out richly uh, in the lyrical content that they're choosing for hymns and for songs um uh, but certainly the preaching of god's word is important uh, you know I'm, I'm i'm also just thinking of the reformation itself right and i'm kind of like casting my mind back for 400 years now the the one of the big visual realities of the reformation was the movement of the altar from the center uh, of the church and uh, the reformers did away with an altar because there's no need to re-sacrifice christ Uh, his death was once and for all uh, a perfect propitiationary sacrifice um, uh, that appeased the wrath of God. Um, but, but once they did away with the altar, e- even replacing it with a table in order to remember the Lord's Supper, the, the actual, the visual aspect of worship was moved either to the side of the church or right to the back of the church. And the center of the church was given and devoted uh, to the pulpit and to the proclamation of the word of God. Um, in the in the church that I currently serve, Crystal Park Baptist Church, the pulpit sits as a temporary structure uh, on top of the baptistry. So we pop the hood of the baptistry, um, but in order to do that, we need to move the pulpit, and people get baptized directly where the pulpit normally sits uh, as a visual reminder of what is central uh, in terms even of our corporate worship um, that the gospel and uh, the proclamation of God's word is front and center. Isaac, uh, we can we've, just yeah of course you can uh, just yeah uh, I think the <laughs> the um, I think the and not wanting to go too much on the sidetrack here, but um, even in uh, the reality of trying to get um, a central, we we also do the songs around the the sermon. But one of the things uh, that I've I've noticed is just uh, in terms of contemporary uh, songs are very. Um, Poor thematically speaking, world uh, like in a, a wider range, uh, and I think that's what some we often go back to the hymns that had um, just thematically speaking so much more richness. And um, if if the pastor is going to speak about forgiveness, there will be a song about that, or uh, songs for dedication, or, and all of that. And I, I find it quite hard sometimes you know when um uh, where there are topics that um um okay let's just sing about jesus because (laughs) we won't find a song (laughs) that will that will fit uh this topic but it for me it just points out a little bit in terms of some of the richness that we've lost uh thematically uh speaking about uh previous generations um yeah so you know, uh, a few years ago, I was preaching through the book of Zephaniah, which is 
probably not the most preached through book uh, in the Bible, but but it's in there. It's one of the 66. And uh, I, I preached through the book in three weeks. It's a three week, it's a three chapter book. And uh, the book really deals with the wrath of God and the final day of judgment. And I, I went to the old hymn books and there are literally entire hymns that are devoted to the wrath of God. And uh, I found one, <laughs> the words were actually terrifying. I mean, it was just so terrifying, even singing the lyrics. The hair on the back of my head stood up and yet the lyrics matched the biblical content. And so I took them to the worship leader and I said, look, I, I actually want us to sing this. I, I, I want us to sing because it's so richly tied uh, to the chapter that we're, that we're devoted to uh, this week. And, uh, and uh, it was quite helpful. But again, we had to reach back in history and in, uh, in terms of a good couple of hundred years. It might have been an Isaac Watts hymn. Um, so we, we're talking a good couple of hundred years in order to find lyrical content that matched thematically um, the theme of scripture. Um, and, and you see that in many ways. You see so many precatory psalms, you know, psalms where the psalmist is waving his fist at the world, and yet we don't see a lot of precatory, um, you know, songs and psalms uh, that are being written nowadays. Uh, same would be true of, of you know, just deep laments. Um, uh, we, we, we've spent quite a lot of time looking for songs of lament because we've realized our people are going through a time of lament, a time of great difficulty. And so we, we want songs which reflect that because we see that kind of lyrical content in the Bible. We see it in the Psalms. And so we want that reflected in our corporate worship. Guys, uh, we've spoken about reading God's word. We've spoken about preaching God's word. I want us to speak just a little bit about praying God's word, corporate prayers. Um, Seb, how, how is praying reflected in the corporate worship service uh, on any given Sunday at Hillcrest Baptist Church? Um, we, we, well, we normally use it uh, quite functionally to open our service, to yes. uh, get together our minds and to unify them and to start to inform our minds about, you know, and to remind us what, we, what we're doing there on Sunday. Uh, to close the service, and then a pastoral prayer with the supplications and needs of the congregation, usually somewhere in the middle. Well, kind of do me a favor. Tell me, what is in a pastoral prayer? Because somebody listening in today might be really intrigued by all this deep focus on what the corporate worship service looks like. Now they're hearing, okay, there needs to be different types of prayers, a prayer before you start the service, probably a prayer just before you preach God's word, I'm guessing, in order to set our hearts and our minds towards the hearing and towards the study of scripture. What, what is it? What is what is the function of a pastoral prayer, and and what is the general content of a pastoral prayer? What are you seeing in those, uh, Seb? Mm. Well, again, speaking as a as as the musician and and not the pastor, um, I could say it's the time for the musicians to come up on stage so that they're ready to play. <laughs> <laughs> well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a get out of free, free card uh, on this particular one. I'm going to pass the I'm going to pass the question to Isaac. So, Isaac, I've obviously mm. attended uh, Central Baptist Church services. I've heard pastoral prayers prayed. Mm. What is a pastoral? Who prays the pastoral prayer um, at central and what does it sound like what what's its general content sure um so at central we have uh, our elders uh, praying um uh, yeah elders and pastors uh, doing the pastoral prayer um every every sunday 
And generally, the content revolves around um, needs of the congregation, things that the, the congregations are uh, is going through, maybe deaths, uh, um, thankfulness for um, sometimes even, uh, you know, things like um, uh, finances and, and even in terms of the life of, of the church. But not only that, we, we do um, maybe not as often as we should, but we do pray for our government. Uh, we, we do pray for our leaders. Um, and so that pastoral prayer uh, generally has a kind of a concern for, um, for the congregation, but at the same time, uh, sometimes also for um, our rulers, as we were um, told in the scriptures to pray for our authorities and, and rulers. And in that time, we would do that. So, mm, mm. Yeah, I, I know Crystal Park a few years ago, um, and we've changed the format of the pastoral prayer from time to time in order to enrich um, the experience and also because we don't hold to a liturgy and so uh, you know like a fixed liturgy uh, it's far more informal and so we have changed the format from time to time but for quite a while we were praying through adoration confession thanksgiving and supplication with a desire of really setting an example for heads of homes so that they could engage in family prayer and devotion during the week and would see something patterned that they could then follow Guys, very briefly, I, I do want to just talk about seeing God's word, particularly in the ordinances, because when we come back after the break, uh, I want us to spend quite a bit of time camping down in an area that the worship leaders would enjoy, um, Seb, and that's the singing of God's word. And I want us to get really practical uh, around singing God's word and what that looks like, what that feels like, what we should be doing, what we shouldn't be doing, songs we should be singing and songs we shouldn't be singing. But maybe just for a moment, let's just talk about seeing God's word um, demonstrated um, in the ordinances. When we talk about the ordinances, what are we talking about, Seb? Uh, and what does that look like uh, uh, on any given Sunday? Do you celebrate communion every Sunday? Uh, do you celebrate? How, what does communion look like practically at Hillcrest Baptist Church? Yeah, so uh, we regularly uh, perform, uh, well, well uh, take the Lord's Supper together um, once a month in the mornings and then once a month in the evening services. And okay. uh, that will normally be uh, at the end of the sermon uh, before we're dismissed. Mm. Okay. Okay. Isaac, your guys, what's your, what's your yeah. practice? So we have uh, uh, also once a month, well, once a month at the Hill campus, uh, then once a month, uh, the, the first First Sunday of the month is at Arcadia in the morning. The second one is at the Hill in the morning. And the third uh, Sunday is at the Arcadia in the evening. Very um, interesting. We, we do have, um, we do sometimes change, not, not everybody, uh, but I I sometimes change the com where the communion is. So we also sure. don't have a, completely fixed uh, in terms of things. So sometimes uh, we do communion first and then respond in worship. Uh, that sometimes happens, uh, but it's most uh, of, often is, is after uh, the, the sermon um, as well. And 
I think it is a, a time of uh, just reflection, you know, contemplative. I think this last Sunday evening, for example, um, Jabu was preaching regarding church hurt and, and forgiveness and the need for forgiveness. Uh, and, and so there was a, a time before the Lord's Supper to actually uh is there someone here that needs to go and forgive a brother? Uh, and, uh, you know, with everyone's head down, you know, if you need to do that, you, uh, you must do that and, and then uh, take. So I think the, the, the communion table is a, a great tool um, in seeing, as, as you mentioned, uh, Mark. And so often, sometimes we, the pastor, um, at least from Arcadia, uh, we would uh, actually have the table right there on the top with a small little thing um, uh, that where the pastor will put the... So with the pulpit is moved and the table of communion is there with just a little... I don't know what to call it, but where they place their Bibles and, and, and we will preach from there. And so usually... Yeah. What is that? <laughs> well, I said, I think it's probably called the lectern. Guys, what we're going to do is we're going to go to break now. Um, Isaac, as you've been talking, a couple of questions regarding communion have come to my mind uh, that I want to ask you after the break. Um, but for the listeners, we are going to go to a song break and an advertisement break. I'm looking forward to being with you uh, straight after the break. Stick with us uh, on Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio Cape Pulpit listeners, it is good to be with you today. This is not a live show, which means you cannot send in your questions and your answers this morning. I'm so sorry about that, but I'm on holiday. Probably have my feet in the sand right now. However, you can drop comments down below if you are watching on Facebook. Um, I do look forward to engaging with you. I will respond to any hazards or questions that you might have. And I will certainly tag Seb and Isaac into those. So you're welcome to ask questions and, uh, and we will answer them as best we can offline. Friends, we've been speaking for the last hour, because we've just entered into the second hour of the show. We've been speaking about uh, corporate worship biblical corporate worship and we've covered the foundations of corporate worship and really for the rest of the time we've been talking about elements of corporate worship and by elements of corporate worship i'm talking about the elements that are regulated in scripture um, our sunday gathering is a god orchestrated affair uh, we assemble to read god's word and maybe to give you some scriptures around that acts chapter 15 verse 21 and uh, 1 timothy chapter 4 verse 13 along with revelation chapter 1 verse 3 we preach God's word. Um, a verse which would come to mind would be 2 Timothy chapter 4 verse 2. We pray God's word, Matthew chapter 21 verse 13. Uh, we sing God's word, Colossians chapter 3 verse 16, which I think Seb quoted earlier, and Ephesians chapter 5 verse 19, along with James chapter 5 verse 13. And then in the ordinances, we see God's word, Matthew chapter 28 verse 19, Acts chapter 2 verse 38 to 39, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verse 23 to 26, uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 11 to 12. And then the one that we all kind of were thinking around, we give towards the promotion of God's word. Galatians chapter 2 verse 10 and 1 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 
3 to 12. I will put all of those links, um, those verses, uh, into the show notes this morning so that you can capture them from Facebook uh, on the live stream uh, on Facebook. Right now, what we're doing is we're talking about seeing God's word in the ordinances, and in particular, uh, Isaac has been speaking about seeing God's word in the ordinance of communion. I wanted to make the point that communion, we, we see God's word in the communion in that communion is remembrance of the death of Jesus Christ and of his coming again. And, and Seb made the point in the first part of the show that, that one of the purposes, one of the foundations of corporate worship uh, is the centrality of the gospel. And the gospel is certainly central to the ordinance of communion. We, we chatted a little bit about when communion is celebrated. Um, Isaac uh, was talking about once a month at the various different congregations which uh, which gather together in the church of Central uh, Baptist Church. Uh, and that's in line with Christ's commands to remember me as often as you do these things. It's an ordinance. Um, I guess what came to mind, Isaac, is the celebration of communion. We're talking about about corporate worship. Now, you can read God's word outside of corporate worship. You can preach God's word outside of corporate worship. You can sing God's word outside of corporate worship. Can you see God's word in the ordinance outside of corporate worship and go? <laughs> wow. So I'm in the hot seat here. So my, my, my answer would be no, um, because I think in First Corinthians uh 11 uh, you know when when the instructions of the lord's supper are given it is as you come together when you gather when you yeah, come four together times. Uh, four yes. times four times in that um, chapter when you gather when you gather so there is an emphasis there that and, and he actually even contrasts like some of you are getting drunk at home and uh you know and and so there is a, a big difference in just having a meal at home mm. and this ordinance that was given to the church, to, to, to the body, uh, in the way that it was, it was had to be. And so even in, in there, I, I would say, uh, and, and I think we all had to navigate this issue when COVID happened, uh, right <laughs> yeah but oh well, actually that's where i was going to get to so you, you, you're <laughs> on the right track brother you're doing a great job uh, uh, but I, I believe that communion should be done as the lord has instructed and so the so, gathering of people um is is crucial for um ob obeying god's command of remembrance uh, can we have communion at a wednesday evening bible study yeah, uh, say, I need some time to think about that. Yeah, the the thing is, I have my views, but I don't know. You know, we have a plurality of elders. Not not every elder might agree. <laughs> <laughs> not, might might agree with me. Uh, I'll, I'll I can say just in my personal view, I think that um, the there the. the wider representation of the church needs to be uh, uh, present and even in the sense of um, what come why i say that if i can put my argument is uh, 
even in terms of restriction of the table, um, uh, there there needs to be an oversight of that uh, given uh, by the elders, and and and, and so it, my my personal leniency would would be to say no, you shouldn't have it at there. You should have it when we all come together. Isaac, that's, I think you've that's answered. My person. Yeah, I think you've answered very well. Even your caveats in terms of hey, I'm one elder amongst many. I I, I think that's excellent. Um, can a person who's watching a live stream video take a communion at home? Uh, 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 oh man, I I I think uh, no. Again, I, I'm gonna stick to my. I'm gonna stick to my. You know, you you might get me into trouble with this, uh, Mark. But uh, my in order for me to be consistent, right? Uh, I'm going to say uh, they have to come together uh, yeah. bodily uh, in order to... So I, I would take the same position as you, Isaac, for this reason. The text in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, uh, so one chapter before 11, it's in the context of corporate worship. I mean, Paul's got like one thought on mind. He says, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread, which... Ask the question, should we be eating one bread so that we can be visually seen as being one body? Or is it okay to kind of like have little wafers that we buy and comes in a box and it's kind of pre, 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 pre-divided for us? Or, or in actual fact, is that being a little bit too picky? Sure. Yeah, I think we, we maybe in my mind, the, the importance of the elements of communion are maybe uh, bigger than the one bread. I mean, it it to be uh, maybe I think it will illustrate better the if it was just one one bread. Um, can can I tell a a, a short story, a funny yeah, of course thing you can. that happened? So I came I came to Central, you know, and um, my my dad is a, a pastor, and in Brazil sometimes what they would do in terms of this one body and oneness they would sometimes my dad used to do this he's like we're gonna exchange the bread and and so <laughs> so this one time i was doing the communion service and i'm like we're gonna and, and it was representing that but but they had been with the bread for a while and <laughs> And um, I hadn't prompted them yet. And I, then I said it and I just saw horror faces like, no, <laughs> maybe some of them had made little balls with the bread. <laughs> I, often break, I often break my bread into quarters. If you had to tell me to go and exchange it with the person next to me, it would be kind of a bit weird. Give them all the crumbs in my hands. <laughs> Uh, so, um, yeah, but uh, hey, I, yeah, I, 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 don't know I, if I would stick to the just one, but yeah. Hey, look, I, I mean, these questions I'm asking are just related, I guess, in many ways to this period that yeah. we've gone through and, and a period that we might face uh, into right. the future as well. And, and I find them very interesting, particularly around the ordinance uh, of yeah. the Lord's table. I, I want us to, to just shift gears and just very briefly talk about the ordinance. Mark, yeah, sure. Can can I ask you a question back? 
Yeah. And, and there's something that I've... I've no, I'm the only person who gets to ask questions on this show. It's, <laughs> so, table, it's table talk with Mark, not table talk so to let Mark. Me ask Sam then. <laughs> let me ask Sam then. I've often wondered, and it's the one thing that maybe my mind, I might be inconsistent in what I've been saying, but uh, there were there was a tradition and uh, often practice of Baptist pastors, I know, especially the older generation, they, they would do it, that where they would go to members that are incapable of taking communion, yes. in taking communion yes. uh, to them. So let me ask I've, you. Throw I've, that done, I've done that yeah. myself, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, and I've done that myself because my father's also a pastor, but he's an Anglican pastor. I love him dearly. He's an evangelical Anglican, an uh, uh, excellent, excellent man. And uh, he would often take communion to the sick. It would be one of the tasks that he did on a on a Sunday or during the week. Uh, he'd take communion to the sick or to the dying. Um, and it was always a very deeply moving pastoral act that I saw him perform. And so from time to time, I've done the same. Um, I, 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 my, I'm not too sure that it's theologically um, that, 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 that it matches the consistency of all my theologies. Um, but it certainly has felt like the right thing to do in certain cir circumstances. What I've done, though, is I've done it immediately after the service, and I've taken elements from the service. So as the church has shared communion together, I've put some communion aside, and then I've taken it to um, particularly older folk in the church that are housebound that wouldn't be able to come to church under any circumstances and, and, and therefore hadn't been able to share uh, communion for a long time. It has been a deeply moving experience for them, and it's been deeply moving for me. Um, and you are right. I, I have at times thought, is this consistent with everything else that I'm saying? At other times I've thought, but this seems pastorally right. Um, and I am sometimes conflicted about that. And so I, I don't have an exact answer um, in my mind. Um, uh, yeah, I was actually going to ask you that question, but then I decided to move on to baptism because I thought I'd asked you so many tough questions <laughs> that maybe we should have gone on to something else. <laughs> Seb is ready for the tough questions. Give him a break. <laughs> well, Seb, um, you know you're at a Baptist church. You're a worship leader. Uh, you know, at Hillcrest Baptist Church, is um, the actual act of baptizing in every member ministry, or is it something that the minister does um, in the local church? Who who does the baptisms? What does baptism look like? And yeah, just very briefly. Um, what does it look like on any given Sunday? How often do you guys baptize? Like once a week, once every second week, once every three months, um, not yeah. once for the last two years. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I, I'll give you a, a, a brief overview of what it looks like at Hillcrest Baptist Church. Um, sure. So it will be in the worship service. Um, yeah. we'll, have, we'll have a public baptism um, of a new believer and it will be performed by an elder. Um, yeah, usually, usually the elder who's just preached and the, the, the person being baptized is required to give a public um, uh, confession of their faith. That's, that's like part of the deal. You know, the, the deal is that <laughs> when, when, they, when they don't want to, the, the argument is Jesus died for you in public, so you can give a testimony. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shame. Poor introverts at Hillcrest. I, oh, oh, I know, right? <laughs> but... <laughs> um, 
But anyway, so we'll have a public, you know, we, we want to hear and be edified by their testimony and by their baptism. Yes. Uh, well, and, oh, yes. Actually, wait, go back. You want to hear and be edified by their testimony. Um, because really, the ordinance of baptism again is an ordinance of seeing God's word and so what would be the elements of a God glorifying testimony and now would be a great time just to in less than two minutes present the gospel yeah <laughs> nice well, well laid out um, well baptism is the uh, it's a symbol of us having died to our old selves and died to our old life and as we go into the water, we are dying, um, just like Jesus died and went into the in, into the tomb. And as we come out, we are risen in newness of life, into the life that um, Jesus has given us, and uh, symbolic of the new life that we will one day have, as Jesus has now when he rose from the grave. Cool. And uh, Isaac, I'm assuming that you've taken a number of people through their public testimony. What would a public testimony sound like um, around the ordinance of baptism? Yeah, so, so generally we, what we would um, uh, say to the people is to basically mention what, what your, in, the, in their public testimony, what your life was like before Christ, what Christ has done, and there, you know, you go into a bit of the gospel and, and you know, uh, and the fruit, what, what is it now? And so kind of before what happened and, and after. And so, um, and uh, really the testimonies are, are really a great, uh, gospel proclamation, you know, and, and you see that in baptism, right? Uh, you know, dying with Christ, coming alive with, with him. Um, and so, yeah, we, we, we do that, uh, at Centro. Um, we are generally are the, one of the pastors uh, performs the baptism, but we are not opposed. There has been uh, instances where maybe a member who had been, um, you know, discipling, you know, that with the pastor's guidance could uh, could do it. So yeah. that's in general. Yeah. Look, I mean, Crystal Park would be very similar to you guys. Um, we. Uh, uh, with with maybe one or two minor minor differences in terms of we also require people to make a confession of faith but that confession can be in one of two ways we prefer it if people write out their profession of faith and then read it to the church and that way uh, an elder can read through it before they make that confession and just make sure that it actually does contain the elements of the gospel that christ died for their sins and that he rose from the grave and that they have repented put their faith and trust in jesus christ and they live and that baptism is a step of obedience rather than a step towards salvation and um, we try and make that distinction as clear as possible uh, during that time of confession however if a person is that introvert, um, what we would do is we, we would give them the option um, in that case of, of doing the following. We would ask them a series of kind of catechism questions. Do you believe in God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth? Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his son, who came and lived and died and rose again and is seated at the right hand of the Father? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the giver of life? Do you believe in one God and three persons, blessed Trinity? Have you repented of your sin, your love for this world, Satan, death? Have you 
confessed your sin and turned to Christ and put your faith and trust in him. Um, and, and, you know, before all these witnesses, we will therefore baptize you. And we ask each one of those questions, um, although we haven't written them down. Um, again, we're not liturgical like that, but we, but the questions always sound the same. Um, we ask them that series of questions to which they then with a very confident and loud voice reply, I do, uh, or yes, I do, I guess sounds like they're getting married, um, but but yes, they affirm the, 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 the statement. And that would be particularly for folk that struggle. Uh, we've got a lot of second language and third language English speakers. Um, so either people who struggle with language or who struggle to articulate themselves or are literally terrified of speaking in front of a crowd, we'd give them that option. Uh, the second thing is we would definitely have baptism as an every member ministry. And so just like Paul to the Corinthians said, I'm glad that I didn't baptize you know, many of you. And then he kind of lists a couple of people that he did baptize. Uh, we too would, I, I too try and stay out of the water. I mean, I love, I mean, baptizing is just the joy of pastoral ministry, but I try and stay out of the water as much as possible. Uh, we normally have two people in the water um, so that so that somebody else is learning, you know, the kinds of catechism questions and, uh, and, and so that we have maybe a Bible study leader in the water or somebody who's discipled the folk um, and then you know you guys have just mentioned a, a, a lot of um, a lot of great answers maybe just to attach them to texts in case anyone's listening to this and, and wants to know a little bit more about baptism biblically I think you've referenced quite thoroughly Romans chapter 6 uh, as well as Matthew chapter 28 the last three verses of the chapter and then Acts chapter 2 is a key a key verse Acts chapter 2 verse 41 which says as many as believed were baptized and those were added to their number 3,000 were added to their number that day um, and so the idea that we believe and then we are baptized and then we are added to the local church um, and what a just a brilliant um, gospel proclamation during our worship services. Guys, let's shift gears again and now talk about singing God's word uh, on a Sunday. Uh, and Seb, I'd like to start with you. Um, brother, when you think of singing God's word on a Sunday, what do you think of? What, what gets you excited about corporate worship on Sundays? Um, yeah, well... <laughs> Oh, why sing God's word? It seems so odd in the 21st century that, you know, 100, 200 people gather together and, and sing songs together. Um, but why is it so special and so important to us as believers to do? Mm. Um, oh, man, I, I, this, is where, this is where I start getting excited. <laughs> I, I, uh, corporate worship, you know, singing, what is it about singing that is so special? My, my simple answer is, I don't know until you see it, um, you know, in a very practical sense. Uh, why should people get together? And like you say, from the 21st century perspective, we aren't uh, a singing world anymore. It's not, it doesn't seem like that's what we do. Um, people don't get together and sing. They look at their cell phone screens um, and watch someone else do something. And uh, it's a part of human culture, you know, throughout the ages was singing together. Um, I think... Uh, one of the biggest reasons is because it's a way of codifying what a group of people believe. Yeah. So it's, it's a way of, you know, how can we as a group express something together? And it's the probably practically, it's the most simple way of doing it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, then I start getting, it's thinking about how God has designed people 
with different voice groups. And when you put people together to sing, amazing things um, start happening. Not in any kind of like supernatural way, but just to see how how people respond to it, and <clears throat> and um, what's what starts happening in a group of people, and how it encourages them when they start singing together and are you know practically a part of the same the same thing. I think. Um, so to add on to that, uh, the foundation for that probably, as Keith Getty would say, why do we sing? Uh, the answer is because it's repeated so often throughout scripture. Um, Keith Getty makes the point that it is the second most repeated command in all of scripture. So that, that's, um, I think, because we are prone to forget that. <laughs> so we need the constant reminder. And it's also a sign of how important it is in our, um, in our worship services. I think Martin Luther said something to the effect of, Next to the word of God, um, music is the highest ordinance given to man or, or oh. something like that. Yeah. Mm. Isaac, what gets you excited about singing um, and corporate singing in particular? Yeah. It is, it is for me, seeing, um, you know, as you say, 100 to 100 people singing the truths of God passionately uh, and uh, what God has done in their lives and, and, and the gospel transforming people that just in unison. And I think I agree with Seb. It's, it's hard to explain if you haven't tasted of it, right? No, it, it, is, it is something extremely glorious. It, it really is glorious, uh, um, this morning we were talking, we had a, a men's uh, thing uh, on Saturday, and that was one of the big highlights. This bunch of men just singing loud. Uh, and it's like, wow, this is just uh, amazing. And, and, you know, we sing in obedience to what God said, you know, to, to sing praises. Uh, to his name. Uh, it also reflects a little bit in terms of our creation. Uh, there's a text, I think it is in Ezekiel, that speaks about God singing. Uh, and we are, in a way, uh, reflect, we were created in his image. And God being a singing God, when we, we get to uh, sing praises uh, to him as well. Well, well actually, I've, I've got the text open in front of me yeah. because um, I, I don't know if you remember, I spoke about Zephaniah earlier. Um, right, right. In the book of Zephaniah, chapter it's 3, verse Zephaniah. 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. And the truth is, and, and it's actually, it's one of my favorite titles from a Charles Sermon Spurgeon, uh, Charles, <laughs> a Charles Sermon Spurgeon, a Charles Spurgeon <laughs> Sermon. It's one of my favorite titles. Our God is a singing God. Um, uh, it's a, it's a title of a sermon which has always caught my eye. Just this idea that we sing because God sings. Amen. Yeah. And, and I think that really is, uh, at the end of the day, our job right? in terms of uh, worship leaders or uh, directors. Uh, and I think Keith Getty also mentioned that in, in his book, saying, like, at the end of the day, that's, that's the goal, to get the people singing, uh, or, you know, 
Um, I, if you think about it, we can't really control what the spirit does or does not do. We can't manufacture any experience. We can't, uh, we don't have a formula that will automatically trigger the spirit moving. Um, what are we commanded to do? What, what is, is our goal? Is to get the people of God to sing in the truths of God to mm. God. Um, well, guys, when we come back after the break for our fourth segment this morning, um, we are going to talk about some practical ways that worship leaders that are listening and others that are in worship teams that are listening and even members who are listening can get involved in the worship of Almighty God on a Sunday. We're going to go again to a short break. And when we come back, we will continue our discussion of corporate worship. Well, Radio Pulpit and Radio K Pulpit, it is good to have you with us on this Friday morning. This is a pre-recorded session, which means you cannot send in your live questions and answers. Um, although you can still make comments, uh, those will come through to us. Really appreciate when you engage with us. Uh, I guess this morning, probably the best way to do that would be to drop a comment down below uh, the live stream on Facebook. And I will certainly try and answer any questions that you might have that come out of the show. For the last hour and a half, I've been talking to Isaac Pinto as well as Seb Goldswain. Uh, Isaac is from Central Baptist Church in Pretoria and Seb is from uh, Hillcrest Baptist Church in KwaZulu-Natal. It's good to have both of you with us. I certainly have enjoyed this conversation of corporate worship. In fact, I think it's a conversation that we should have a whole lot more um, going forward because it is so important. Ultimately, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And one of the ways that we do that so well is in corporate worship as the Lord stirs our affections toward Him as we gather together with His people uh, on the Lord's Day on the, on a Sunday. Seb, I want to I want to address you now. Um, we've been talking about the foundations of biblical corporate worship. We've spoken about the elements at length of uh, biblical corporate worship. I want us to start to talk about how do we effectively, as as pastors, as worship leaders, as those that are involved in corporate worship on a Sunday, how do we effectively go about uh, instilling excellence uh, in the corporate worship that we offer to Almighty God? Where does it start where can we get started? And I'm thinking particularly of the pastor of a 60 plus church who's listening in on this and is enthralled and excited and looking forward to Sunday, but, but dreams and hopes of something more. Where do we get started? Um, my first thought is that the, uh, the, the worship team, the congregation and the leadership need to have a very clear picture of what excellent worship looks like practically. Um, and so that way we can all be working towards the same co uh, coherent goal. Uh, so that said, uh, the way the sound engineer mixes the, the sound and the way the drummer plays and the way the singer sings should all be with the same end in mind. Uh, and... For, for me, that, that same end is, is very practical, I think, as you see throughout scripture. It's the singing of the congregation. And as, um, Isaac mentioned, Keith Getty, uh, mentions in his book, Sing. It's 
the all the people involved in everything with the worship service uh i'm talking in terms of the musicians and the worship leaders and the sound desk and the projectors and lighting if you have those um everything is uh, should be around should be focused towards how can we make the congregation sing better and more effectively mm. so how do you choose a piano intro um how do you decide whether your band should run backing tracks or not how do you decide what your projection slides look like how loud is your kick drum all those things um should be formed by how can we make the congregation sing better and not distract away from that or um yeah or overpower them and i think that uh, what that means is practically in different churches you'll actually end up having different solutions yes so so should a church have, I'll go straight for the controversial one. Should the church have drums or not? Yes. The answer, yes. The answer, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I was once, uh, a 30 second anecdote. I was once asked to speak to a church who were, um, they, they were against guitars, skinny, uh, skinny jeans and drums. <laughs> there you and go. I asked, <laughs> asked to address them on, you know, why those things are okay. Uh, and and the answer is, I said, if you've got a room with twenty people and you want a big loud drum kit, the drum kit's probably not going to work. Yeah, <laughs> and, sure. Uh, it's it's probably going to overpower everyone and just be a distraction from what we're there to do, um, and it's quite unnecessary. But if you are in a, a stadium with sixteen thousand people singing hymns, for example, or with a room with hundreds of people, uh, if you're in well, if you're in a stadium, you need drums to keep everyone together. You need something that's very clear and very loud to keep everyone together um, and so how does what you do and your, the role that you serve on a Sunday how does that facilitate keeping everyone together mm. I, I love that idea of just a focus on the corporate singing um, uh, uh, rather than the focus on just excellence of of maybe your band or your kind of key vocalist uh you you know and and everybody right. and everything kind of coming together in order to to make that diamond shine um rather recognizing that it is the people of god gathered that is the diamond that that's going to shine or even more importantly it's god that's the diamond and it's the people of god that is the setting um that that kind of that kind of really allows um uh, god to be magnified in their presence um i, I really enjoy that seb thank you so much um isaac how do you now here's the thing i've sat and listened to you lead worship and brother i was amazed like i it was such an uplifting thing for me to sit um at arcadia uh, a few weeks ago uh, and just listen to you leading corporate worship um and just hearing the elevation of voices praising and glorifying God together. It, it caused my heart to soar. Um, I, I cried buckets at the back of the church. Um, uh, it was such a wonderful um, introduction to the, to the pulpit. Uh, how do you go about doing that as a, as a worship leader? I mean, it didn't hurt that you had a couple of hundred people <laughs> that were engaged with you. Um, but but, 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 but uh, how do you go about doing that with excellence? Yeah. I, you know, I, th I think what, what Seb mentioned it, it really is key if we are if that's the goal and um and let me just go a little bit into the practical um it, it means that the the keys that we're gonna use are ones that the congregation can reach and it's 
you know, sometimes it's you're gonna have to have uh, you're gonna have to sacrifice some of your creativity and talent in terms of, for example, uh, I'll, I'll, sometimes it's so tempting to do voice inflections that would sound great. But it will confuse the congregation, you know. <laughs> it, it's uh, and and so if the goal is is singing, so um, I I often like to have in in some of the songs times where the music dies down, so that um, the this the people would hear themselves and uh, and and the volume needs to to be one that like the musicians and the singers ought to be able to somehow still be able to listen to to the congregation if if you're not getting them to sing um you may sound great but you've missed you missed the plot right you mm. you you missed uh, the goal and so uh, that that just means for example sometimes uh, you got to be careful with a lot of um, we you often can have great vocalists, but if everyone harmonizes, for example, it can be confusing to congregation. So we basically want to remove in and minimize anything that would uh, like um, send mixed uh, signals right to the congregation. Uh, in, on on the one side, you are the lyrics are up there, so you're inviting them to sing. But then now uh, you've changed the way that you've done this verse and that other verse, and it's not very known. And then you get hesitancy from the congregation. It's like, wait, am, am I? Not? And so eliminating some of those uh, helps us to, to get, okay, the goal is to get the people of God singing. And, and there's a big distinction. And, and I think uh, worship leaders and pastors need to be aware of this. Uh, of a lot of the music that Christian music that is out there is not geared for congregational singing and it actually shouldn't be used in a congregational setting because uh, it, it's it was made for a concert or something like that and so the, the voice inflections and solos and stuff it's a different context it's great to listen to and it's nothing wrong with it but not every amazing song that you hear would work in a congregational setting congregational yeah. singing uh as is is different i'm talking too much <laughs> no no look i, I mean I, I absolutely loving what both of you are saying in terms of uh, the practicalities of excellence and driving congregational singing we can find i mean because now you've raised the topic of not every song that's out there is good or appropriate for congregational worship where then can you find congregational worship hymns and songs where, where are the places that you might start seba i'm going to start with you and just say you, you know kind of if you're a worship leader in what ponds should you be fishing mm. Right. Um, I could give you the names of specific artists, but I think more importantly than that is what tradition are you choosing your songs by, uh, from and um, being informed by. So I think there's, for example, there's a modern, uh, a modern worship, uh, which tradition, uh, in essence, which has uh, largely neglected the 2000 years of church music. And they, they are informed by modern 
pop music, essentially, and they're a subculture of themselves that is detached from historical Christianity. And I would say there's another school um, of thought when it comes to worship, which is uh, which uh, which is informed by Christian thought throughout the ages. You know, God has blessed the church with songwriters for two thousand years. Yes. And and we've got a, we've got a couple of really great ones alive today, but there's some of the best. You know, have been dead for hundreds of years. Yeah. So go, going to your hymnals. Um, solid, faithful hymnals that people have sung from for, you know, hundreds of, the, hundreds of years, some songs that are thousands of years and have been in the church forever, and using that as your starting point. Mm. So understanding how has the church worshipped throughout history should help you to, should help to inform you in what should my worship look like today. Uh, uh, we, we, we introduced a, a brand new song at Crystal Park recently, uh, just talking about that, that legacy of history of excellence. Um, uh, um, it's by Matt Merker, uh, who is at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. Uh, and the song, the refrain is a hallelujah chorus. Um, hallelujah. Um, and, and, um, the song itself was written in like 400 AD. That's staggering in terms of the historical tradition. I mean, from there, you go to kind of like those early Scottish hymns, um, Be Thou My Vision, which is also kind of like 1000, maybe 200 AD. Um, and then obviously up into Isaac Watts and just that, that incredible richness of theological content. And then, of course, the Wesley brothers, uh, particularly Charles, obviously, his brother being mainly the preacher. Um, but, but, but just like such incredible um, hymnology uh, in terms of history. Uh, who are some of the current contemporary hymn writers that you might point people to? Uh, you guys have both mentioned the Gettys, so I mean, they would be a great place to fish. Um, who else is out there? Uh, you mentioned Matt Merker. I think uh, Matt. Mer I mean, he works for the Gettys now. So <laughs> he's so cool. <laughs> I spent yeah. some. I spent some time in Washington and got to listen to him talk and got to listen to him lead worship. And he's just, oh man, I just loved his focus on corporate worship. Mm, absolutely. Um, I think uh, I'm fairly biased. A lot of my favorite modern hymn writers are all associated with the Gettys. So I, I'll just throw them out. Uh, Matt Papa. Uh, is a, an amazing uh, modern hymn writer yes. and uh, Matt Boswell, sure. um, Sandra McCracken, Andrew Peterson. Mm. Um, wow, Andrew Peterson! We sang a we sang a hymn this past Sunday. Is he worthy? I mean, yeah, oh. who can make it through that without? Uh, how does a worship leader lead through that without crying their eyes out? Yeah, I was I was reduced to a puddle of tears. <laughs> I, I always wondered, I've, I've grown up, I'm not very emotional. I don't express myself emotionally. And I always wondered why the Lord wired me like that. And once I started singing, uh, Is He Worthy in public, I learned. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Um, uh, yeah, Isaac, uh, any names or, um, or, yeah. or folk to add? Yeah, I think uh, Stuart Townend. Uh, is, yeah. is oh, in Christ well. alone, beautiful hymn. Oh, and, and others, obviously. Yeah, I mean, modern, uh, yeah, that in Christ alone, in terms of modern hymn, is one of those amazing ones. Um, I, I, we at our church do use a lot of stuff from Sovereign Grace as well. Yes. Bob Coughlin, Bob Coughlin, um, wonderful and, man. Yeah, uh, he came to South Africa a couple of years ago, and I spent some spent some time with him as well. Uh, 
Um, and and yeah. just uh, yeah, he's a man whose practice matches what he preaches. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think they they have um, great stuff as well. And I think you've you've mentioned um, the the other uh, guys that yeah are also uh, also great. Maybe while just in terms of a, a resource for guys that are in term are uh, interested in in terms of worship leading and music and all that. So Bob Coffin uh, has a podcast, Sound Plus Doctrine, uh, that is is good and helpful in, in a lot of these practical uh, things regarding worship. So I just oh, excellent. To mention that. Yeah. No, I know our worship team recently worked through his book, Worship Matters, as well. Um, and I know uh, Sing, we've mentioned that as a as as a mm. book. Um, maybe just to add one more worship stable, and that's City of Light. Uh, we've been singing a lot of the City of Light hymns, mm-hmm. uh, and I found them absolutely excellent for congregational worship. Mm-hmm. Guys, we, we really are drawing to an end. Um, I'm looking forward to a future show around the same topic uh, of maybe practical corporate worship. We can talk about things like sound, uh, things like video and, uh, and post-production. Um, and, and things like lighting and just all of those other practical aspects that have kind of crept into the modern worship, um, uh, worship realities. Um, but, but maybe in leaving, um, we probably have wet one or two people's appetites to find out more. Um, what are the kinds of resources that you might point people to? Um, whether they be books or websites where they can go and, and get some more information regarding worship. Uh, Sunday worship and uh, and excellence in worship. Uh, Seb, maybe start with you and three resources. One, or, yeah, well, one to three resources, and then Isaac. Sure, um, I think Isaac stole all my three resources. <laughs> but I also, I also very, uh, very strongly recommend uh, the Sound Plus Doctrine podcast uh, by Sovereign Grace. Um, yeah, it's an amazing resource that deals with uh, practical issues in church worship. But uh, Bob uh, Coffin always has an amazing way of dealing with them uh, very pastorally and in a Christ-centered mm-hmm. way. Um, so I really appreciate that. Uh, his book, uh, Worship Matters, is also excellent. And uh, if you are a worship leader and you haven't read um, Sing by Keith Getty, I, you have to. It's a, it's a manifesto on, you know, it's your marching orders to go get people singing. And you've got to read it. Oh, excellent. Thanks, brother. That, that's really well done. And Seb, can I just say thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. Really, on the podcast, on, on the show today. Really enjoyed um, talking to you and for all the value that you added. Isaac, a couple of resources from yourself, brother. Yeah, um, <laughs> I, I don't have many more than this. Uh, Norton Hall Band, uh, yes. they are from the Southern Baptist Seminary. And um, their website, I think it's called um, something regarding biblical worship. Uh, uh, so that's uh, an, an, an extra um, uh, yeah, resource that one can go to. Um, yeah, I think there are those ones we, there, there isn't many in terms of, this cool, this cool of tradition that Seb was pointing out to, you know, um, there, there are some, uh, some out there, but I, I think uh, those are, are helpful that we have uh, mentioned. Uh, Mark, I just wanted to say one more thing, uh, uh, just briefly, that I, I thought 
um, it's it's worth mentioning. I was supposed to mention when we we're talking about the singing and and even in terms of worship leading. Um, let let leave the preaching to the preacher. Amen. Um, <laughs> so there are worship leaders that want to speak before every song and give like a little message before every song. Uh, so I just thought I'll, I'll mention it's a practical thing that I thought it needs to be said. <laughs> oh, no, helpful. <laughs> you know, even on those practical things, like uh, I, I, we really do need to get together for a future chat. I'm thinking of, you know, conversations around run sheets and, you know, how to how to actually land a service within a time frame, which has become especially rele- relevant now that we have bandwidth realities um yeah uh, thank you so much for that isaac and thank you to you too for joining us today uh, and for the value that you've added if i had to just add maybe uh, two resources uh, one is if you were interested in the elements of worship and what they look like in the context of uh, of corporate worship if you had to type in guideline and then the word crystal park baptist church uh, into google uh, you'll get a guideline for each element of corporate worship and that might be helpful to somebody who's trying to put together uh, a worship set uh, and is starting from scratch we've tried to be as detailed as we can on each one of those elements in terms of what that looks like within the context of our local church and then a new resource that i found that i'm so excited about uh, about one of the elements of corporate worship and that is corporate prayer if you go to matthewhenry.org matthewhenry.org matthew henry actually who's a very well-known commentator on the whole of the bible he wrote instructions on how to do corporate prayer exhaustively um, and they are absolutely excellent probably the best resources on corporate prayer that I've ever seen um, by a trustworthy commentator. I would commend that to anybody who wants to up your game and your excellencies in the matter of corporate prayer. Speaking of prayer, our prayers go out to all the elders and deacons holding the line in local churches as well as our missionaries serving in foreign fields. Our prayers for and much respect goes to first responders, our police, our defense force, and all those who dispense justice in our country along with firefighters and paramedics and our nation's nurses and medical personnel as well as correctional facility officers all over our country. You have been listening to Table Talk with me, your host Mark. We're going to news now and so until next week Friday, walk wisely, live holy, and testify zealously to Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Amen.